So an introduction for our webinar series. First of all, thank you so much for attending. We know you've got a lot of competing priorities and we appreciate it. It goes without saying today, we think we've got some important topics, but we absolutely recognize, appreciate, thank our first frontline workers, our, our first responders, our friends and family that are working in retail right now to keep our shelves stocked and be able to keep the deliveries flowing. We also wanna let you know that we know that we're all in this together. However, we know we're going through very different journeys. So the one piece we really wanna to emphasize today is this is not a PAG commercial. We are here to help. We are passionate about our expertise and we wanna help you in any way that we can. Today, we turn our attention to the people and how this has affected you and how it has affected your organization. Without further ado, let me introduce our panelists. Marty Anderson is a colleague of mine and is an experienced change leader with more than 20 years experience in retail merchandising and planning. He's led complex programs that impact both strategy and operations. The past 10 years, he's really been focused on leading transformational programs for companies with an emphasis on process, change management, and resilience. Deanna Emsley is also a colleague of mine and has spent her entire career in retail with a focus on inventory management, processes, and teams. During the past 10 years, she's concentrated on helping retailers in distress find a path back to success. And of course, that always includes bringing the people along for the journey. Lastly, we have a guest today, Joe Scarupa. We are delighted to have you. He may not need an introduction. He's a well-known industry influencer. He recently left Riz after 20 years and knows all things retail and CPG. So welcome, Joe. We're delighted. My name is Kathy Toll. I've been with the Parker Avery Group for eight years and oversee the organizational change management offering. Today, we're focusing on mobilizing and sustaining a resilient organization. So there's a lot we don't know right now, and there's some things that we do know. So the future, what we don't know. We don't know when day one will be for most of us. Some areas are already lifting in shelter in place. We don't know what it's going to look like, and we absolutely do not know how our workplaces will have changed. But we do know a couple of things. We are going to return to work. We are going to come out from behind our computers. I personally am visiting friends and family and am going to leave my home. We also know we have weathered an epic storm and it's not over, we are in it. And we know going through something like this, it's not a straight path back. This will not be a nice neat arc that we just simply wave a wand and several weeks later it's better. This will be two steps forward and two steps back. It's a roller coaster. Joe, I know you've written recently about this. I, we would love your thoughts on this curvy path back. Yes, it is going to be a curvy path. And thank you, Kathy, for having me join your expert panelists today. Glad to be with the Parker Avery team for our second webinar that features practical real-world tips to reconstruct retail coronavirus world. You know, the shock of the economy shutting down has given way to thoughts about resilience and survival. Our first thoughts were about the health and safety of our customers, our employees, first responders, of course, and, and those population segments most at risk. You know, but now we're thinking about what happens on day one when we go back to work. And right. probably sometime in the next few weeks, that day one will happen. So when we do go back, what are the protocols that we're going to need to have in place? 
what happens on day one when we need to make changes to our retail business model? What happens on day one when we have to look forward to having plans fall season and for the holiday season? What playbook do we use to reconstruct our business on day one when the stay-at-home orders are lifted? So, Kathy, that's the challenge that we have to address today. It's the core question on every retailer's mind as they struggle to regain their footing, not just from a business perspective, but also from a personal struggle perspective. Absolutely. And, you know, last week, let me just ask you one more question. Last week, we addressed the question about what do we do about inventory distortion, about how products pile up that are out of sync with the season. Kathy, how can retailers manage all of this change in such a short period of time? And what recommendations do you have for them to create a playbook to be guided by? So we really wanted to offer practical solutions, especially when you talk about organizational change in people. It can be a little squishy. So we decided to break it into three components. The first is reflecting on what happened. Then we moved to rebuilding. And Marty will talk a little bit more about resilience. And then Deanna will talk about repurposing. What did we learn? We'll start with reflecting. And when we talk about a playbook, one thing I will tell you that should be in your playbook, and you might just need one page, and you'll hear this theme over and over, is communicate, communicate, communicate. As we reflect, trauma has happened. This has not been a little frustration we've been through, or gosh, I missed my bus. Trauma lingers for weeks and months after this occurs. And unfortunately, typical models view a transition through the lens of the collective and not the individual. And there has never been more of an individual journey that's taken place in the collective. So that disruption is really unsettling. As people start to come back, we may feel anxious. Some of us will be excited. You might see some anger in people that were furloughed. You'll see a lack of confidence and they're going to be a little bit destabilized. So as a leader, you might be thinking, what can I do? What are some of the first things I need to be thinking about? The first thing you have to do, and even if this is not an innate trait of yours, address the elephant in the room. You need to acknowledge the experience your people have had, you've had, and you have to admit you don't have all the answers. If you come back into the workplace, to the stores and say, hey, nice to see you and go about your business, that will be the most disruptive thing you can ever do to your people. If you don't know what to say, tell them, I don't know. I don't know what to say. What can I do to help you? Also, we just touched on it. Meet each individual where they are. You're going to have some folks that require a lot of attention, and they are going to be really excited to be back. You will have some folks we mentioned that perhaps were furloughed and might have a little angst or resentment. And you're going to have some that are like, just leave me alone and let me do my job. I actually liked the work from home situation. Now more than ever, with high performance teams, we always talk about psychological safety. So again, if you have people that are a little destabilized and they're coming back and their confidence has been knocked, continue the dialogue, ask for their opinion, let them voice their concern. Physical safety has never been of the utmost importance. And this is where 
let people know what you're doing. It's extraordinary the measures retailers are going through even right now when they close the store and the deep cleanings that happen every night. And they're changing out HVAC filters. Will you have hand sanitizers as people are coming in, cleaning open areas more often? Tell them exactly what you're doing to keep them safe. You might even set up six foot boundaries so that people feel comfortable. They wanna maintain a social distancing. Develop rules of the road, work with your team. It's, I might need something very, very different than Marty needs, and I have to respect that, and he, he needs to respect mine. Also understand, too, when we are under extreme duress, which we have been under, our cognitive functions explode. Our executive functions go AWOL. Those typical, the ability for me to concentrate, for me to be as articulate, for me to make decisions as easily, is greatly compromised. If you see your folks coming back into the workplace and some of your top performers are stumbling, totally, totally normal. This is going to be an individual journey back. So manage your expectations. This will not be pixie dust falls and now everything is back to what it was. We recently did a survey, which was fascinating. I don't know if this will come as a huge surprise, but we asked what were some of the characteristics and behaviors needed in the new world. Number one, hands down, was adaptability. The ability for you to adapt and to be flexible was of the utmost importance. We know as organizations, we need to be adaptable. We need to be resilient. But you cannot have a resilient organization if you do not have individuals that have resilience. And I don't want you to think about resilience as this talent bestowed on a, a few people. I want you to think about it as a skill. It's like anything else, you can learn it. And as a matter of fact, adversity makes us much better at it. And Marty is going to talk a little bit more about resilience and some of its characteristics. One of the things that I wanna talk about, you know, Kathy's been talking about how people are feeling. They may have some apathy, they may feel disoriented. That's not because of a lack of commitment or focus to their job. There's a real reason behind that. So I wanna spend a moment making sure everyone understands why people feel the way they do. When we go through large change or adversity, we use a lot of energy. Energy is that currency of change. That's what it takes. It actually takes work to adapt. It takes work to move through that. And the more personal a change is, the more energy it uses. There are three major types. There's societal change. It's usually a little bit lower energy because it's typically diffused across a larger number of people. Then there's organizational change that might happen to you organizationally and it's a little bit closer to home. It may affect people that you work with or colleagues. And then there's that personal change that really impacts you directly and it takes a lot more energy. So these things stack on top of each other. And while you have a lot of different types of energy, you have physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy, they overlap and you ultimately only have a single reservoir of total energy. It's mm -hmm. why when you go to a funeral or you have a large emotional experience, you feel physically exhausted afterwards and may need to take a nap. It's because it all draws from that same reservoir pool. So as these things pile up, you utilize your energy and you kind of shut down a little bit. What's really unique about the COVID-19 pandemic is that it's hitting all of these simultaneously. Typically, you know, if the economy or we have some foreign relation things going on overseas, you know, we understand it, it has some impact to us, but it's kind of diffused or, you know, there's new processes at work that get rolled out or, you know, there might be a reorg and maybe some layoffs and some of it's personal, maybe not all of it, but it doesn't impact us as directly. But right now, 
we have world changes, the pandemic that's socially changing how we live our lives, what we can and can't do. Our organizations have changed dramatically. Some have actually closed. There have been millions of people furloughed or laid off or completely lost their jobs. And then, of course, that creates these personal impacts, which could either be economical, where they're trying to decide how they're going to pay their bills and stay afloat. Do they have health care? And then to that point, even really direct is they could be experiencing major illness or even death within their family. And so this is really a unique moment where one catalyst is driving through all three of these categories at once and really intensifying the amount of energy it's creating a need for to adapt to this change. You know, Marty, I I love the concept of energy. Let me interject with a quick question here. One of the things I noticed during this difficult, and it's certainly a challenging stay-at-home period here, is that there have been many positive stories of altruism and you know people working together for the greater good and supporting first responders, for example, which we've touched upon here, and, and even calling grocery and other retail workers heroes. And, and another positive might be that families are learning to appreciate the time they have together and the new ways that they're learning to to fill it. So Marty, I wonder if this kind of positive effect also plays into this energy as currency concept. Yeah, it does. It's actually a really good question. And energy is not good or bad. It's not positive or negative. It's just energy. And even positive changes that you're really excited about can create a drain on your energy. If you're moving into a new house that you really like, it takes a lot of energy to relocate and move all of your things and, and get used to your new way you're going to drive to work. A brand new relationship is exciting, but it's exhausting. Like what you use as an example, spending more time home with your families. That can be exhausting, but you know, also right now, it takes a lot to adapt. You're adapting to different cycles within the household, how people live and work together because you're always there. Parents are now the the homeschoolers and the teachers of their children even, and that takes another amount of energy. So you're having to adapt to a new schedule. And while you may be enjoying it thoroughly, it still uses energy to adapt to those changes and get used to it. So it's really not about the negative or positive. It's just that you have one reservoir and all these things kind of eat away at it until you're kind of depleted. So it's about, we want to talk about some characteristics you can utilize and hone to be aware of what draws your energy away and then what maybe gives you energy back that you can kind of refocus your efforts on. One of our retailers asked a question that kind of relates to the psychology of working in in the working environment and actually leaving the home environment to come back to work. The way they're putting it is that, you know, the topic of safety is going to be a really big thing, you know, going forward and surely on day one when we go back to work. And what we're seeing is that employers are securing virus tests. They're checking temperatures of employees. They're they're trying to ensure that people are okay to come back to work. And how does that impact energy? And this, this questioner actually wonders what the psychological stress of all these safety checks might be. Yeah, I think, you know, that one can be a double-edged sword in a sense. You know, it kind of goes back to what Kathy was talking about of, of in order for them to feel confident and secure, you know, there's a mental security and a physical security that they want to feel like having that requirement. And I actually watched another webinar yesterday where they were talking about this requirement of testing to come back to work. And so people kind of have to go through a clearing process to get back in. And some may find that really satisfying and secure because they know that everyone there has gone through that. And, And that may be one of the things that as a company, you decide 
to make people feel safe. And that's a stress reducer. But it also takes energy to do that. It's not that it won't draw energy. I think the organization has to shift its focus. And so it takes focus away from other things to do that. But it's not necessarily a bad idea. And if that's what you need to do to make people feel safe and reduce stress, then go for it. Yeah, I completely agree, Marty. It's I just as you were using that example, I was thinking to myself in the security line at the airport, I hate that line. That line is like so frustrating to me. <laughs> However, and it's stress provoking. I need that. And I feel if we didn't do it, I would feel more anxious. Yeah. So I think for me, the big takeaway is those first few days back, people are going to be zapped by two in the afternoon, right? right? They're going to be exhausted. And there's a little bit of that, hey, maybe, you know, we're not back to the 10 hour days immediately off the bat because of so many of these different new protocols that are going on. And I think, Kathy, it comes back to what you said at the beginning as well. We just have to communicate, 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 explain the intent and really seek, actively seek feedback on whether it's working for everyone or not. That's right. To Kathy's point, it's kind of like we were talking about positive change also uses energy. We may need that to reduce some of the stress, but people are still coming in exhausted. Just because they've been furloughed or they've been at home doesn't mean they're relaxed. They haven't been sitting on a beach. And like I said, some of them are having to do homeschooling for their children. And that's a big stressor on yourself. I used to be a teacher and, and having to manage that. And I've seen people posting videos and being really confused about how to do that effectively and just feeling stress and ownership of that being on their shoulders because they worry for their children and want to make sure they're doing a good job, having to plan meals every day and making sure there's food available and cooking where maybe you didn't cook as often before, making sure that you and your kids are getting out and getting exercise and not you know, getting cabin fever. There's a lot of stresses to just being isolated and in home. They were talking about on the news that anxiety medications are at an all time high right now being prescribed. (laughs) And so, you know, people are coming back in a state of stress and that's something that employers are gonna have to acknowledge. We're not gonna be back at full productivity. And so that's one of the things we wanna talk about now is like, how do we get that productivity back? It's gonna happen over time. It's not something that's gonna be immediately, like Kathy just mentioned, don't expect that day one, you're not going to be at full steam day one, it's going to take some getting used to. So basically, what I want to talk about now is how we build resilience, personal resilience and organizational resilience. And there are five major categories that I really want to talk about. And the first one is really important about focus. This is about having a sense of purpose, this prioritization, or even a triage of what we need to do first, second and third, we talked about in our last webinar about triaging your inventory needs, that goes for everything. As you're bringing people back into the office, they need to know what needs to be done. Kathy said initially, just sending them email and saying, hey, start on this day and expecting buyers to go back to buying and planning to go back to buying and they know their jobs and they're going to go do it. That's not going to be enough. It's not going to be okay. Some things have been falling through the cracks. A lot of triaged people have been out of the loop. There's been a skeleton crew trying to keep the boat floating and who knows what has gone untended or not. I would advise, you know, maybe think about bringing your leadership back a few days early or even a week earlier than everyone else and sit down and talk through what these prioritized lists need to be. And they could be different by area. What's a priority for buying versus planning versus marketing? They could be different as far as what's looking to be done. Maybe it's you need to look at your orders. There may be orders that need to be placed, pushed out, canceled. Maybe take inventory of where your assortment currently sits right now. We've been seeing a lot of companies shifting to buy online, pick up at curb, buy online, 
ship from store and they've been utilizing their available inventory at all these retail locations as basically their supply chain. So what was there when you left may not be the same when you get back. So there's a lot of prioritization that needs to happen to really give people direction and make them feel like they know exactly what they need to do. And this focus, it really goes back to that discipline in a sense, you know, that we saw on the survey that came out. Next is this flexibility and, you know, this flexibility, I'm going to equate, you know, where you saw creativity on the survey where people were talking about creativity, this is going to play into that creativity piece and flexibility really has two implications. Really. There's two kinds of flexibility. There's flexible thought, which is that creativity and that's your personal thoughts and being able to generate a lot of different ideas and brainstorm and come up with solutions. And then there's this sense of social flexibility, and that's your comfort in working in groups and cross-functionally, your openness to other people's ideas and working in groups. This is going to be critical in building and revitalization of the retail industry. Good leaders are good listeners. And my recommendation is identify your thought leaders, make sure that you pull them in, establish one or more task force teams to help you gather information, brainstorm and generate solution ideas that you're going to need. And this team can also then help you support communication, retraining. This could be a real critical brain trust, if you will, to really help you. As Kathy said earlier, it's not a leader's responsibility to know every single answer. It is their responsibility, though, to empower and engage their resources and their teams to find those answers and come up with some solutions. The next is like going into organize. You, this is really important. One of the things that really sets people off kilter when you're going into large change or adversity, as we'll call it, is a lack of control and a lack of predictability. As humans, we like a sense of control and predictability, and that's what also makes people feel unsafe. They want to know what to expect. Any amount of this control or predictability that we can add back into our environment is going to keep people calm. It's going to remove some stress, and it's going to help them focus on what needs to be done and get back to a higher level of productivity. So create this structure. And this is something else you can think about early with that kind of triage set of priorities is how are we going to set our expectations from communication, from processes, and set up some short-term and some long-term ones. When you first come back, and again, people may be coming back in phases. Everyone may not start mm -hmm. back on the same day. So what you do immediately could be very different than what you do three months from now. Maybe you need daily stand-up meetings the first week or two so that you come in, you set expectations, you set up a communication track, but you need to check the temperature every day, <laughs> maybe literally and figuratively, to see how that's working. What have you uncovered? What did you find that has fallen through the cracks that we didn't know about? Take that, add it to that prioritization list and see how it floats up these task force briefings, if that's what you call your teams, maybe there are briefings that you need those daily or weekly. And then maybe after that first week or so, maybe those go to three times a week and then once a week, but really communicating quickly and continuously to adapt and adjust as you go is going to be important. It could be as simple as, you know, we talked about addressing and taking inventory of your assortment, maybe an assortment update log, having some central logs where people are all posting and they have a place and an understanding of what I need to do today and how I need to do it for right now. Because some of these new processes may stick and some may continue to be adapted over time. But the more you can communicate and stay organized and structured, the safer and calmer people will feel. The next one would be proactive. And, and this kind of goes heavily into that adaptability that was the 94% on the survey. 
This is really about the comfort with experimentation in your organization. And you really need to focus on this. Do not think you're going to wait until everything calms down and then just wait for everything to return. It's not going to work. You need to engage your teams early and often, put new ideas in motion. Don't worry if they're perfect because they're not going to be. You're working on a shoestring staff right now. It's going to grow over time. You're going to have to do things a little differently as you go along. So experiment, revise, adapt, move forward, and utilize those teams to drive solutions and ideas and act on them. Don't sit, act. And then positivity. And this kind of goes to that optimism that we also saw on the survey. And this too has two implications. There's this positive worldview and the positive self. I'm going to start with positive self because that's really the confidence, the self-confidence. And that's someone's innate understanding that they, they know that they can overcome. They know that they can be successful one way or another. They'll figure it out and they have confidence. And as Kathy said, initially, people's self-confidence is a little bruised right now. And that could be for a lot of reasons. It could be because they got furloughed and depending on how the company communicated that when it happened, you know, there could be a loss of trust. Am, am I going to be able to trust that my employer is going to be there for me if another crisis happens in the future? How do I see the protection here? How was it handled? Was it handled equally and evenly up the ladder? So addressing that and making them feel valued as an employee and associate, again, is going to be important. And all these other things kind of feed on each other. So engaging them, putting them and gathering their ideas and making them feel a sense of ownership and responsibility is going to help them build their self-confidence back and feel better about the process if they have ownership in it. The other part of this is that positive worldview. And this is really about being able to find that silver lining, if you will, or takeaways from what's happened. Not everything, as you pointed out, Joe, earlier, has been horrible. There have been some really great things that we've discovered. It may be having less meetings was okay. Every client a hundred percent, I would go out on a limb that we've worked with have, when we interview their people say there are way too many meetings and not enough work time. And now we've been put into a situation where we just haven't been able to have the amount of meetings that you maybe had in the past. And how did that work? Was it okay? Working from home has always been looked with a real critical eye and some people trust it and some people don't. We've now been forced into a situation where we've had to work from home more. How did it work? What were the learnings from that? Is there something positive we can take forward with that? But hold these lessons learned sessions with your teams and work through that and make sure that you're adapting and finding the positive things that you can take out of this to move forward. That positivity and looking at it differently is really going to help give people that energy back. All of these things, if done correctly, will help resupply some of that energy, making them feel safe, engaged, active. Anytime you can be action oriented is going to making them feel empowered and that's going to give them energy back to get back to normal. You know, Marty, there's a lot to, to think about on this slide here. One of the things I like about this slide is that it offers some real practical suggestions for getting back to work on day one. And it implies that there's a pre day one planning urgency for the leadership to do at this particular moment. And as you indicated, maybe calling them back and Kathy Maybe you want to comment on that, because I think a lot of our attendees today, and the, the questions are starting to come in, are thinking about that day one and maybe the pre-day one planning part is re a really important part of what they're trying to do right now. Absolutely. I would, if we go back to one of the opening comments, which is communicate, 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 get your executive team together, get your leadership teams together, and think about the different communication vehicles you have available and how you can start putting together a plan. And it might be as tactical as what, what is my first month 
what does the first week of my month look like? And then what does week two and what does week three look like? As a consultant, I think about it as a project plan and we get very tactical into what needs to be going on each day. I think that will be very important, but there's gotta be some pre-planning. I know from just a safety standpoint, a lot of that is already happening with building maintenance. Let's pick up on another question. This one is, is a really tough one, but you know, I think we're here to, to answer the tough questions. And I'm not sure who's the right person to tackle this one, but you know, we don't really know the shape of what the pandemic is, is going to be having. And they, they talk about a curve, they're flattening the curve. And we have a, an attendee that says, I wonder if there, there could even be a second wave. And, if, and if, as we have change management protocols in mind here and developing a playbook, I wonder if we should plan what, what happens for the next wave. And, you know, maybe that raises the question or the next pandemic. I hope we don't get used to this type of thing recurring in cycles. But you know what? Crisis management plans may have to include Absolutely. pandemic response. Right. And if they hadn't before, they absolutely need to now is what the the way people have grouped together in organizations to really been able to come up with their crisis communication, how they're managing internal and external stakeholders. You better write those lessons down, because if we would need to pivot quickly, you're going to have to have some protocols in place to say, OK, everyone, we're going to go back home for a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah, Kathy, one of the things that really resonated with me, you mentioned a moment ago that one of the keys to success will be sort of behaving like project planners, project managers, as it were. Mm-hmm. And one of my most important tools when I'm in that role is to always have a plan B and to be constantly <laughs> watching for is now when I need to come off the tracks from plan A and get onto plan B. I think there's been an enormous number of lessons learned about how great we all are at developing a plan B. And we're going to have to get a lot better at executing it more nimbly than perhaps we ever had to before. Absolutely. That's right. And I think companies are inconsistent in how they do with this. From my seeing and, and a lot of clients, and we do a lot of software implementations and things, IT departments do this all the time. They yeah. have redundancy plans. They have remediation plans. They have emergency plans. They have backup servers in different cities in case there are natural disasters. IT does this all day long. What we don't do is a good job of this in, in business process and, and in, the, in the business directly. But as Kathy just said, we now have it. We've learned a lot. Put that pandemic binder on the shelf in HR. We know how we communicated. And there were a lot of people that had little to no notice about how this was going to work. At one of the clients we left, they were calling people in and giving them Teams training meetings really quickly so that they could go home and know how to use Teams or maybe it's Skype or Zoom. So hopefully that's been trained now and maybe that becomes part of their onboarding. And particularly in this kind of lessons learned and what do we take away that we should carry forward, some of these processes don't have to go away. If we get more comfortable with remote work and that becomes more of a standard and not just an exception, they'll be ready for some of the things, maybe not everything, but it could be a little more localized. What if there's a, like I said, a natural disaster, like a hurricane that hits one region, while it may not be as big as the pandemic and a societal impact, but in that area, in that state, it could be just as traumatic and you would still have some of the same things going on. So I think you can establish that and take it away. And if they don't, they're missing the mark. They're missing a great opportunity. Which is a great transition for Dion yeah. On, yeah. on lessons learned. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about some of the things that just haven't felt good 
throughout this event. But <laughs> it's funny that I would be the optimist in the group because anyone who's listening who knows me, this is not the normal role I play, but I have really loved finding the silver lining as I too have experienced all of this disruption. And I think one of the critical next steps we have to challenge ourselves to take is to take a really close look at what we did differently that worked surprisingly in many cases and really find a way to weave that into the texture of who we are personally and professionally as we move forward. So I just want to talk quickly about a few examples of what that might look like for people. On the one hand, I think the one that's most visible probably to most people are operational transformation. So examples where a distribution center that always has been configured and staffed to handle both shipments to and from stores and shipments to and from customers had to completely reconfigure team, staff, everything to only focus on that direct to customer side. And, you know, Marty mentioned a moment ago, this is a classic IT project. People have been paid a lot of money to make that kind of transformation happen. And it always takes weeks, if not months, to pull it off. And we've all seen, many, many of us are customers of retailers who have pulled this off within days. And so one of the things we want to look at now to figure out how do you make a lesson like that stick is, well, what barriers were removed? And how do we make sure those barriers stay out of the way? And that doesn't mean we want to do big transformation programs in a really scrappy way from here on, but there's some really important barriers that got forcibly moved out of the way that we probably want to take a really close look at. Another example is team members. And, and I'll tell you one of my personal favorites I've experienced as a customer is some of my retailers are using their store employees rather than furloughing them, they're using them as digital stylists. And so these are store associates who previously had no stylist experience. They had never used the technology they're using now to have that experience with me one-on-one. -on -one. And yet they had to learn and immediately leverage in a very public high stakes way, a completely new <laughs> skill. And, and again, you know, the phrase necessity is the mother of invention just really rings through these examples. And again, I, many of you are living through these and pulling off these miracles day in and day out. And some of us are simply consumers experiencing them. But there's something really powerful about watching somebody learn and then leverage a new skill that quickly. And going to what both Marty and Kathy said, the confidence building that happens when we give someone the opportunity to do that really just can't be measured. The power of that is, is really incredible. I'll close by also, this is sort of an umbrella example, but if we all think carefully about all the decision-making, again, in our personal lives, as this disruption is waved through us, and certainly in our professional arenas, we've had to make much more accelerated decisions than maybe we ever have before. And most startling is we've had to make those quick decisions with very little information. There's not a last year to go refer to, well, what happened last time I had to make a decision like this? <laughs> right. there's, there's not a lot of time to go collaborate with other people and see what lessons they've learned when they were in similar situations. We've had to make incredibly public in some cases and certainly very risky decisions very quickly. And, and again, I come to this question of, well, what has been true during this event that wasn't true in the past that gave us as people, as leaders, and as organizations the confidence to take those risks? Whatever that is, and that's not one answer for everyone, but we really want to take some time now to examine that and to make sure we weave that into how we all operate moving forward. And Deanna, I think we chatted a little bit about this. That 
confident sometimes didn't always feel confident. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's certainly been hit or miss. And, and again, it, when you're when you're making decisions in rapid speed, it rarely feels like you've made the right choices. There's a lot of, well, I'm going to just give it a go and I'm going to be ready with my plan B. I'm going to be watching carefully for whether it was right or wrong and I'm going to be ready to be nimble. And I think everyone's yes. had to throw all of those skills together in this really interesting blender of our personal and professional lives all cohabitating. And I think this is a really important lesson learned. We all need to figure out how to embed and how we look forward. And it doesn't have to be pretty. No, it, uh, and it, it likely down. isn't. <laughs> now yeah, we're in the future. I was just thinking about that. I, I hope that some of the lessons learned are not Boy, we really rushed that one in, and that was a mixed bag, and it and it didn't go as planned. Right. I, I think the lesson to be learned is that you do have to take uh, acceptable risk, and and then you tweak it or finish it or fine tune it as needed, and and make it work eventually. So, right. so I think that you know taking a risk might be a good thing if they're well reasoned risks that have a strong upside. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point, Joe. I mean, think about the people that took the early risks on omni-channel productivity, the the BOPUS, you know, buy online, pick up at store, buy online, ship from store. Those people that were much further along that line of capability are have, weathering the storm a lot better than those who sat back and watched. They were, they were more comfortable with that experimentation. They went out there early. They had those ideas and weren't afraid to try them and then correct them. And they've gone through multiple iterations now. And there are some other companies who are wishing they had been a little faster off that mark. Okay, let's jump into our final portion here. Do a, a little bit of a summary, a little bit of a conclusion. And be sure to leave our guests today with some clear takeaways and tips that they could use on day one or pre-planning for day one. But, you know, also looking ahead to how their business is going to take shape for the rest of the year. So I'll go back to my reflection theme. For me personally, and as a change practitioner, I have been delighted to see people that weren't typically as tuned in to change management kind of have those moments of like, oh my goodness, this is what it feels like. This is what it looks like. And it's not always comfortable. And the one thing for me that is so critical as a leader and a manager Oftentimes, you know about changes or transitions that are coming, but your folks don't. Hang on to how unsettling that feeling is because it helps you understand that as your people are going through a system implementation, a process redesign, it can feel very, very distressing to them. And that whole kind of digging into that softer side or people part of it, I've been thrilled to actually even have, you know, people are asking me questions that would never have asked me that question before. I'm like, wow, okay, great. Let's talk transformation. Good point. And Marty, what are your recommendations? You know, again, it's, it's those five characteristics. Engage your team early and often, you know, as, to establish those priorities. You've got to get a lot of ideas. Don't be afraid of that cross-functional pollination. Right now, you're gonna need more ideas than you've ever needed before and creating that positive feedback loop, making sure that you collect the things that work and don't be afraid and don't be too down on yourself for things that didn't. Adapt and move on and, and stay nimble. And Deanna? Yeah, and I'll just wrap up. I'm following two amazing colleagues, so I don't wanna to be too redundant, but they've touched on a lot of this theme of really looking for that silver lining. What I'll simply add is in many cases, these lessons we've learned have been about things that got out of the way. 
things that as a part of our normal decision making or organizational structure were just really hard barriers to being creative and and through again necessity being the mother of invention under these situations those things could no longer exist in our way and i think that probably is going to be a theme people have in finding the lessons that can be embedded in the new normal reducing barriers simplify speed to market all important uh, themes and Right. Kathy, why don't you leave us with a final word and a thank you and tee up what we're going to be doing next week. Absolutely. Thank you. First of all, Joe and Deanna, Marty, it is always a delight. And this is a group that can have a lot of great conversations. So we want to thank everybody who's joined us. Finally, I have to say, if any of this resonated with you, please do not hesitate to reach out to myself, Marty, Deanna, we are passionate about what we do and we want to help in any way that we can. So drop us a line, shoot us an email, and we are more than happy to take whatever time we need to, to walk you through questions that you might have. So with that, I will leave everybody to a fantastic rest of their day. And thank you for joining us.